Hey, friends. <laughs> you guys can be seated. Man, it's good to see you guys this morning. This is, uh, as many of you know, this is my first kind of foolish Sunday back with you after the little preview a couple of weeks back. For those of you who are here for that, thank you. <laughs> It's really good to be worshiping Jesus with you guys this morning. Even, uh, I'm so thankful for our music uh, that we get to sing and the words that we get to sing, that we don't just sing cheesy Christianese uh, songs. Um, Man, the words sound different in this season for me, and and just really grateful for our talented musicians and all the ways we get to to worship in such an authentic way. I'm also thankful to be spending some time with you guys today reflecting on these two biblical realities that are kind of our theme, uh, the realities of God's strength and our weakness. But these aren't independent from one another, are they? They're not really two uh, different biblical realities. They're connected. God's strength often shows up most clearly to us when we're brought low by the circumstances of life in a fallen world, when we're shown our weakness in really tangible ways. Anyone in here know from experience uh, a little bit about that? I know lots of your stories. I know that many of you know what I'm talking about. And as we continue our reflection on this theme this morning, we're going to hear a couple testimonies from those within our church uh, who do know this truth of God's strength and our weakness in a really firsthand way. And one of those people is me. And so... Um, I'll be sharing our first testimony this morning, and then we'll have one more after, after that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and share a little of how I've seen God's strength show up in my weakness in this recent season. So, as the legend goes, on March 20th, uh, I was in the middle of a counseling session with a couple who was here in the first service. It was really good to see them. I hadn't seen them since all this had happened. But I was in the middle of a counseling session in my office at the church offices there in Linwood, and um, I started feeling kind of sick, just something weird. And so I excused myself. I said, I'm just going to run to the restroom and just excuse me for a minute. I thought I'd be going in there to just splash some water on my face, and then I'd be right back and be fine. As soon as I got to the bathroom, I kind of hurried my pace as much as I could to get to a stall where I then threw up a few times, and then afterwards ended up just flat on the floor of the bathroom in a stall, um, not really able to move, Um, not really having a plan. I didn't really know what was going to happen next. I just knew I couldn't really go anywhere from where I was. So eventually, uh, the gentleman of the couple that I was counseling uh, found Pastor Kyle, and uh, it was a Wednesday night, and so students was going on. So we found Pastor Kyle, and uh, together they went looking for me, found me in the bathroom face down on the floor there. And they said, are you okay? And I said, no. And uh, so they, um, they got me up, and uh, they helped me get out to the car, and they got me home. Um, and then, like, a minute after Stephanie saw me, she said, I'm, you're really making me nervous. I feel like you're, uh, maybe we should call 911. And I said, I think you should. And so I think I, I don't really remember a lot uh, in that 15, 20, 30 minutes uh, between then and when the ambulance came. I remember them pulling a stretcher into our bedroom and kind of peeling me off the bed and getting me on that. I remember thinking, man, I hope our three boys aren't seeing me being wheeled out of the house on a stretcher. And then I don't remember a lot for like the next week and a half. Um, but, well, so what I'm going to tell you is partially reconstructed and part of it in the later part is from my own memories. 
But what we found out when I got to the hospital was that for about two hours from the time that it started in my office during that counseling session to the time they got me home and then to the ambulance and then to the first hospital, about two hours, I'd been having the heart attack that whole time. And among many other things, what was beginning to happen during that time was in my weakness, God was showing me and all of us his strength. Because at that point, the doctors and nurses were saying that it was amazing that I'd even been alive uh, to that point through this two-plus-hour massive heart attack. Now, God certainly didn't have to do this. He didn't have to keep me alive through any of it. I hadn't earned more time. I hadn't earned another chance. I didn't deserve that any more than anyone else would have in that situation. But he chose to show his character to me and through me in all of it. In my weakness, God was showcasing his strength. Over the next seven days, I coded three times, which means my breathing stopped and my heart stopped, and I had to be literally shocked um, back to life. And that left me wrestling with, I mean, there's an obvious answer to the question, but it left me wrestling with this idea as I got better, like, would God still have been good? Would he still have been just if he didn't bring me back from any of these uh, three times that my heart stopped? And the answer is, of course he would. But in his grace and in his providence and in his sovereignty and in his loving kindness, he chose to show me and the world his strength in my weakness by sustaining my life when by all appearances from the outside looking in, I should have died each of those three times. After coding that third time and being brought back, I continued to struggle to breathe on my own. My lungs weren't responding uh, and we were faced with very few options um, I don't remember hearing this, but Stephanie and uh, my parents would remember hearing it firsthand, and probably Pastor Kyle as well. One of the options was making me comfortable, which we know what that means, right? And that didn't sound very appealing to them, and so uh, a decision was made to put me on a really risky, but potentially life-saving uh, life support system. In these days, what I do know is that I was the weakest that I'd ever been in my life. I was in lots of pain from all the tubes that had been placed inside and outside of my body for this life support system. Several of the drugs that they gave me um, made me nauseous, causing me to throw up pretty regularly and making me feel all the weaker still because of that. And some of the other drugs caused some pretty terrifying hallucinations and delirium. And in the midst of all that were the nights. And those of you who have been in, any, in a hospital for any length of time have gone through a serious illness or disease, maybe you know what I'm talking about when I say the nights became increasingly the loneliest times I'd ever experienced in my life. I'm not afraid of the dark. I like getting away. I'm an introvert by nature, and so like, I would like getting away for a few days and getting some silence. And um, it's, it's hard for people, someone who loves people, but it's also an introvert. And so like, I like all that silence and being alone but not anymore. Like, this was really different than anything I'd ever experienced. It seemed almost impossible to sleep. It seemed equally impossible to pray or read the scriptures that I love. And while parts of all that were related to physical specific things and uh, medicines, this was also a time of prolonged spiritual and emotional attack as well. And I wasn't mad at God. I knew better than that. But I felt far from him. I often felt alone in the pain and the fear of all that was happening to me. It was all-consuming. 
a reality that I've learned is pretty typical for those going through serious sickness and disease. Honestly, this was the most discouraging time of my life, and I can still have days where it's pretty discouraging. But in the hospital, with each physical setback, and there were many, the spiritual and emotional attacks would come. The fear and anxiety would come as well. And all that, in all of it, I never really knew, minute to minute, day by day, um, what would happen next. There were times where I, I didn't know, like, I, am I going to be here in an hour? Am I going to be here tomorrow morning when stuff comes in the morning? Like, will, will, I, will I still be alive? But God knew. He knew. And at my weakest, he showed his strength in some pretty amazing ways. Pretty miraculous ways, honestly. One of the best options on the table for what would be next for me had been a heart transplant. But the big question was, would I have the time left in life? Um, would they be able to sustain me long enough for a good match to, to be identified for me? But as some of, as some of you know, uh, after only being on the heart transplant list for three days, on one of the most discouraging days that I had experienced in the whole journey so far, a doctor came into the room late that afternoon and with excitement told me that they had found a great match for me, and that I'd be getting a heart transplant the next morning. And I forgot to mention this in the first service, but circle back to that really risky, kind of dangerous life support system that I'd gotten put on, kind of as a last resort. Well, it turns out that uh, when you're on that thing, it's called ECMO, if you wanted to look that up on Google, ECMO uh, is the acronym for that. By being on that, I was also placed in the top category for the transplant list because it's so risky, and so they make that kind of a priority one. And so God was even at work in putting me on this really um, invasive and risky uh, life support system. And in all of that, what I see looking back on it is that when I was at my weakest, God was showing his strength. Now, for the rest of my life, I think I'll be trying to learn all that God would have me learn from this season of trials but already, I could go on and on about the ways his strength has shown up in my weakness. God showed his strength in my weakness even just by placing us here in Seattle near UW Medical Center, this award-winning hospital that has some of the best patient outcomes on record for heart transplants in the entire country. God showed his strength in my weakness by using these trials, by using my weakness to remind me that my life is always in the hands of another. And to dispossess me of the delusion that I, and probably many of us, if we can get that honest, the delusion that I have any real degree of personal autonomy or control. God showed his strength also in my weakness by surrounding me with the best support system that I could have ever dreamt for in a situation like this. Uh, starting with my wife, who was one of the... She's in here this service, so it's harder. Who was one of the only people that God used to truly make me feel, even the littlest bit, safe during all of it. But that support system goes far further than that. It also includes my parents, who were, are just recently retired and who were able to fly in from Florida and stay with us for a long time. It includes Steph's mom, who flew in from Phoenix to support and care for us and the boys in so many ways. And not least of all, it includes so very many of you who prayed for me and us when I couldn't pray. 
It includes those of you who sat in waiting rooms for countless hours as a ministry of presence to me and my family. It includes all of you who sent cards and gifts and food and love to us throughout this whole season. It includes our extended families and our extended church families from earlier years who have been so encouraging and so faithful in prayer and in support. It really has, all of it, blown us away and brought us to tears dozens of times. When I was at my weakest, it's no exaggeration to say that God sustained us. He sustained me and showed his unyielding strength to us through all of you. So thank you. Okay, I could go on, but I'm way over time. So I'm just going to ask that you guys will pray with me, and then we'll get going further. God, thank you for your teaching to me in all of this. Thank you for the blessing of my new heart. Thank you for sustaining that new heart and my life. This is not what I would have chosen, yet your will be done. Your ways are not our ways. Your ways are not what I would have chosen, and that's a good thing, even when I don't like what your will is leading me through sometimes. I pray that what I've shared this morning might be of some help and encouragement to those here today, and that my testimony of your strength and my weakness would bring glory to you and good to me and to all those that you are drawing to yourself. And I pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening, you guys. Thank you, guys. Love you, too. All right. We've got one more. Miss Stephanie Hansen is going to come up. And she's going to share uh, a little bit of her story and a little bit of how God's strength has shown up in this even longer season of weakness and of struggle that her and her family have been walking through. Steph? When I agreed to do this, my one reservation was I don't want to go after Pastor Shane, um, but here I am. Um, my name is Stephanie. Um, my family and I have been longtime attenders um, of this church, for those that I don't know. Um, my husband, Kyle, is at home with our four kids, um, but my dad is here with me right now. Um, and just a little background um, of the trial that the Lord has um, our family in right now. Um, in October of, let's see, 2017, I was um, suffering some vision loss, so I went to my eye doctor and it wasn't my eyes, so he thought, um, it might be something going on in your brain. Let's just get an MRI to rule it out. Um, I remember joking to my husband nervously, um, you know, they're looking for a brain tumor, right? Because um, I'm kind of a feminist, or, yeah, by nature, but um, pessimistic. He said, no, they're not. Um, but a week later, the results came back, and there was a mass in my brain. It was not a cancerous brain tumor. It was a benign brain tumor, but a um, vascular brain tumor, so made up of blood vessels um, that hemorrhage, and mine had hemorrhaged, which was why I was having vision loss. Um, it's called a cavernous malformation, for those of you that Google things. Um, and it was in the basal ganglia um, area of the brain. You don't hear a lot that um, about that area of the brain because it's 
right in the middle of the brain, right above the brain stem, um, right near the thalamus. Um, so we had a diagnosis, and we knew that it had recently bled, and so I got busy researching things. Um, what were our options? We met with neurologists, neurointensivists, neurosurgeons. My research led me to a neurosurgeon in Arizona who is really one of the best um, in the nation, if not the country. And he specializes not only in my type of tumor, but in the location where mine was. So I submitted my records to him, and he called me on the phone um, later that week at night said, I'm your guy. This is my tumor. That's my spot. I get those out. You're coming to me. And um, being the, you know, naive young mom scared, um, we just felt like this was what we were supposed to do. And, and to be fair, we had a lot of peace about it. I continued to do my research. Um, we turned the corner into the new year, into 2018, um, when we found out that I was pregnant with our fourth child, um, which we were overjoyed about, but that obviously um, complicated things. Um, we were offered the option to terminate the pregnancy, um, which we, of course, was not an option for us. Um, so we continued forward in faith, just um, asking, begging God, tell us what to do. Um, this is this is firmly in your hands. And um, so I moved forward with surgery. Um, we had to wait until I was in the second trimester to do the surgery, and during that time, I had a second bleed um, and had more vision loss, which kind of further confirmed for us that we were supposed to have the surgery to get this thing out because um, it was active at that point. So in April of 2018, um, I left my home, kissed my three little kids goodbye, and went with my husband to Arizona, um, not on a vacation before our fourth baby came, but... Um, to have a nine-hour craniotomy to hopefully get this bleeding tumor out of my brain and, and be on with my life, as we were told that was, that was the plan. Um, I woke up from surgery. Um, tumor was out, fully out, but I had suffered a stroke during surgery. Um, they found that out by you know, in their recovery room. They're asking me, um, can you feel this? Can you feel this? Can you move that? Um, I didn't even know my name at that point. I was... Um, in a world of hurt, being pregnant, there was um, most of the drugs that one would like to have after a nine-hour craniotomy were not available to me. So I was pulling out every labor pain technique that I had to cope with the pain, and it, it didn't wasn't touching it. Um, I actually remember, and I didn't share this at the first service, but I remember um, being in that room, hadn't even opened my eyes yet, and thinking I was it I was I was about to be in heaven like there was this was it it was over I was I was there um and I was really happy about that and I was really disappointed when I woke up um and that's not where I was at all but I was really happy to see my husband who was dutifully by my side um so I had suffered a stroke during surgery um they don't know if it's the stroke that rendered me disabled or the surgery they still don't know and it honestly doesn't really matter it's the same um either or. It's the left side of my body is like, you know, a standard stroke. It usually renders one side of the body without feeling and without motor control, um, which is what I have. It also knocked out a quarter of my vision, the bottom left quadrant of my vision. Um, so what had originally been just, you know, a little bit of concerning vision loss had turned into a quarter of my vision field missing. I spent a week longer um, in Arizona in the neuro... Um, ICU unit before, while well, they kind of realized 
what had happened. Um, and then they transferred me to a inpatient neuro rehab facility here in Washington, um, where, you know, when Shane was talking about the loneliness of the nights, I spent a month there, um, away from my husband, away from my kids, um, doing intense physical therapy every day. Um, you know, the loneliness and the spiritual battle um, was was very real, and I could really relate to that part of his story. Um, let's see. In June, I returned home. So this was June of 2018, um, and a few weeks later, I my I had an appendectomy. My appendix um, went on the fritz, and we called uh, the ambulance. And I do remember thinking, it's our little local fire station, um, which my son knows all the firefighters there. And I remember thinking, please don't wake up. Please don't wake up. You know, I'd just been gone for a month. My kids did not understand what had happened. My daughter was having night terrors. Um, my littlest one was just over one, and he was not really sure what was going on. But the, other, the older kids kind of understood something went really wrong. Mom is really not in good shape. We had a full-time nanny at that point, so I was home but not doing anything with the kids. Um, and then they woke up again one morning, and Mom was gone again. And so I had another surgery, um, which seemed much less intense comparatively to have my appendix out. Returned home and pursued physical therapy for the next um, three or four months at that point, at which point my kids woke up again one morning and I was gone again because I was having our baby, um, which went great. And she is here and healthy and just the cutest little thing. And then I returned home again and um, we settled into a family of four, and um, let's see, springtime last year, I was able to finally get enough health in me that I was able to do um, more physical therapy and brain therapy outside of the house, which kind of brings us up to where we are now. Um, we no longer have the nanny, so I'm at home with the kids full-time. I have recovered some, as you've probably seen. I'm up and can walk some. I have some use of my arm. Um, I have minimal feeling in the left side of my body. I still am missing a quarter of my vision field down over here. Um, I can drive. I have my license. Um, I don't drive much because I think it makes everyone nervous, but I am. <laughs> and, like, think about if I got pulled over. Just that's a bad time when I'm getting out of the car with my cane and all the kids. It's just um, so I only drive around town just for everyone's peace of mind. But um, <laughs> we're. I have a scooter that I take out in public that... Um, my kids love to fight over who gets to ride on the scooter with mom. And so we've, we've made some adaptations, but functionally I am disabled. I have um, an acquired brain injury. I have brain damage. Um, sometimes you'll hear me just say, oh, I had a stroke. It depends on who I'm talking to of how deep I go into it. So, oh, and the last thing, probably, can't forget this. Um, the part that you can't see is that what my brain has done in response to not having feeling on the left side of my body is it has created pain which is a normal thing that the brain does. You hear about it more in um, veterans who have, or others who have lost limbs and they have phantom limb pain. Um, I have that. I have my limbs, but my brain can't feel them, so it's created pain. Um, a burning, ripping, stinging, piercing, stabbing, freezing, it just you name it. Um, on the left side of my body, it rotates around. It's the worst when it's in my arm, and for some reason the doctors can't um, articulate it's in my arm every third day, which is tomorrow, for those of you that want to pray for that. Um, today it's my face. The face doesn't bother me nearly as much. And that is, if I had to pick one thing that I would just plead the Lord would take away, it would be the pain. 
um, because it's in my head. There's nothing wrong with my limbs. It's in my nervous system. It's in my brain. Um, it's in the thalamus that was damaged during the surgery. So in this trial, my weakness has been shown through my doubt, fear, anger, and at times despair. Like every third day when the pain is in my arm, you can count on despair. Um, God's strength has been shown through his sovereignty, his faithfulness, his provision, and his grace. His sovereignty and that not a minute of healing will happen outside of his allowing it. His sovereignty in particular shows to us in the pregnancy. Um, We chose not to terminate the pregnancy, and we found out in hindsight that when the mother is pregnant and there is damage to one of her organs, the baby sends their stem cells to that damaged part of the mother's body um, because God loves life and wants the mom's life to be preserved. And so we now know that during all that time that I was healing, that little Ruthie was sending her stem cells to my brain to aid in the healing. We also found out that um, one of the hormones in your body, oxytocin, is the hormone that is most responsible for neuroplasticity, which is the brain's ability to heal itself and learn new things. Um, And breastfeeding moms know that um, what produces oxytocin in spades is breastfeeding. And so I have an advantage um, in that, that um, every day I get a dose of oxytocin in my body from breastfeeding our daughter um, that my brain uses um, for neuroplasticity to further extend healing. So what could have been looked at as um, just really unfortunate providence turns out to be um, a big display of God's sovereignty in, in this story. Another way that God has shown his faithfulness um, is just in his, or excuse me, his strength is in his faithfulness. Um, To me, specifically in the times of darkness, um, I know, love, and trust God. And I still crumbled like a house of cards when this happened, when I was left alone in that neuro rehab unit up in Everett, um, away from my kids. My daughter's having night terrors. My one-year-old is not developing. Um, He has speech delay now. And my oldest kid is sending me videos from the nanny, um, just like wondering when I'll be home and when can we draw again. And my husband is going to work full time and then going home and cleaning up the house, relieving the nanny, and then driving up to Everett and spending two hours with me while I sob, and then going home and going to sleep. Um, God was very faithful to me in those times when I had some really um, hard and loud questions for him. Um, Even when my circumstances challenged my perspective of him, his character never changed because he is faithful. I read my Bible before, and I read it now, and he is still the same God. He is good, and he is in control. Not either of those, but both. And once I was able to submit to that, I was able to start to find contentment in this um, trial that he has for us. God's strength is shown in his provision in our community um, that rallied so many meals, you guys, so many meals were delivered to our house, but um, a lot of services were um, given to us, a lot of prayer, um, a lot of friendship. We were given the resources financially to hire a full-time nanny for a year. Um, that was a really big blessing to our family. Local therapies, I haven't, um, the therapies that God has clearly given for me to pursue have all been local um, to the Edmonds area where we live. Um, And then lastly, I would be completely remiss if I didn't note the provision of three very important men in my life during this. My husband, 
who has um, the gift of faith, and I lean on that often, um, and is just, I mean, our marriage has gone through <laughs> um, a lot in the last year, and um, we wouldn't trade it for anything. My dad, who's here with me right now, who we live with, and he stepped in and cared for our kids. Um, just he did a fantastic job, just grandpa with the kids, while we were not able to be with them and has continued to just be a blessing um, to us during this time. And my oldest son, who was here with us in the first service, who is um, turning six this week, and you would think he's turning 36. He's just stepped up in every way imaginable um, to help our family during this time, and including this last um, December, in the midst of all of this ugliness and just tears in our life, he um, came to us saying that he wanted to become a Christian and he wanted us to pray with him to receive salvation. And so we got the gift of doing that um, in the face of such um, valleys in our life. That was definitely a mountain. Lastly, God's strength is shown in his grace. Um, we know that grace is a gift we don't deserve. We know that restoration and healing is good, but it's also a gift that we don't deserve, that I don't deserve. Another gift um, that the Lord has given me that I don't deserve is crystal clear focus in a very confusing time in our lives. First Peter 4.19 says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And for me, doing good is serving. It's no mistake that God has given me four kids and a husband in the middle of this. And I am to take any strength that he gives me and serve my family with it. He has restored me enough to serve them, um, not well and not fast, <laughs> but um, serve them nonetheless. And so I am very, very, very thankful for that. Um, and last, I think that anyone who walks through a season of um, suffering that they can't understand turns to Job, and for good reason, um, our just our anthem through all of this has been, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Steph, you said you didn't want to follow me. I don't want to follow that. Uh, I'm glad I went first now. Thank you for sharing all that. You made me cry both services. Yeah. Well, as we close out the testimony portion of our time this morning, let me pray for us one more time. Lord God, your disciple, the Apostle Paul, he pleaded with you time and time again. The scripture that we read at the beginning of the service to remove the suffering or sickness or weakness or uh, sin struggle that he was facing. And I imagine that what you would want to say to Stephanie, to me, to any of us who experience such trials of suffering, such experiences of our own weakness, you'd probably want to say the same thing to us that you said to Paul, that your grace upon us is sufficient and that your power is made perfect in our weakness. So as we think about doing hard things, the hard things you've asked us to do in your word, things like those that we've been talking about in our series, things we all, if we're honest, I think, feel ill-equipped to accomplish, remind us gently 
that we're not in control of any of it anyway. And remind us of your love for us, even in the midst of our weakness and trials. So that we might more fully believe and live out the reality that we've been talking about this morning. That your grace truly is sufficient for us and that your power really is made perfect in our weakness. And yet equally so, I pray for myself and for Stephanie and for all those within the Sound City family who suffer in various ways, who experience weakness in various ways, that you would bring about true and lasting healing and recovery to our hearts, to our bodies, to our spirit, and to our minds. And we pray all of these things through your divine Son and by your divine Holy Spirit. Amen.